I would ask you to join me in your copy of God's Word this morning, uh, first in Acts chapter 20. And we're going to look at four key passages this morning, uh, and so we're going to do a little bit of Bible drill. So I'm going to ask you to find four places in your copy of God's Word. Acts chapter 20, First uh, Timothy chapter 3, Titus 1, 1 Peter 5. All of these will be on the, uh, the text will be on the screen behind me in just a moment, but uh, if you'd like to follow along in your Bibles as well, Acts 20, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, and 1 Peter 5. I uh, just want to take a moment to remind us why we're in the sermon series that we're in, Assembly Required, looking at God's design, God's pattern for church relationships. As I mentioned, at the, towards the end of last year, after several months in kind of COVID lockdown, or it's not really lockdown anymore, but restrictions, and just all that we had gone through as a church and, um, and, and just as individuals over the course of last year in 2020, I saw that God was revealing some really good things and some areas for even growth and uh, greater faithfulness for us as a church. And one of those areas for growth and greater faithfulness uh, is in raising up and recognizing uh, leaders uh, among uh, among our church, more, more leaders that God has called to, to help to give pastoral care and shepherding uh, to, the sh- to the church alongside Pastor Danny and myself, and, and, and just looking at, at who we are as a church and why we organize the way that we do. Um, now, it's just in me that I've, I've, I've got a teaching streak in me, and I, I can't, I'm not the kind of person who can, who can make changes or move directions without helping people uh, uh, understand why I'm doing what I'm doing, and so that's in part why we're in this series, as I want to give us an overview of how God organizes His church so that we can, as a church, make decisions together about how we would be organized, where leaders would come from, who we would recognize in that way, and so uh, wanting to ground every decision that I make in every way that I lead us in God's Word, uh, want to do that even publicly uh, on a Sunday morning this way. Last week we saw from kind of a 30,000-foot view the, the sort of big picture of how Jesus intends His church to be organized uh, and how different people relate to one another within the church, how the congregation relates to its pastor elders, how they relate to deacons, how uh, pastors relate to the congregation, how they relate to deacons, and all the way around uh, that sort of thing. So if you have that picture in your mind, just kind of keep that uh, there this morning. Uh, today we're going to zoom in on one of, those, uh, one of those, those groups of people, specifically on pastor elders. And we started this series looking at the congregation, and then we, we took a step back and looked at the big picture, and now we're zooming in a little bit more to look at those leaders that we recognize as pastors or as Scripture most commonly calls them elders. We'll find this morning in the four passages of Scripture that we'll look at that elders, as overseers and shepherds of the, uh, of the church, serve the church through teaching, through prayer, and through spiritual leadership of the body. That's how God defines the the call and the job description of these that we would call elders or pastors. And so as we look at this over the course of four different texts this morning, I I want for us to to know and to see that, uh, that, first of all, pastor elders, those that serve in this position, whether in this church or elsewhere, whether you are one now or, or you feel that God is calling you, they should be exhorted to shepherd the flock of God with Christ-like care and leadership. The, the, the point is to live lives of discipleship worthy of imitation for those that they are leading. On the other hand, church members who are not pastor elders, or maybe not yet, should know what to look for uh, in potential elders, potential pastors, knowing what God has said they must be. The church ought to be aware of what pastors ought to be. 
They should also trust their pastors to lead and prayerfully follow them toward greater Christ-likeness altogether. So let's look at four passages of Scripture this morning, and I'd invite you to stand with me as you're comfortably able. We'll be standing for a minute, but that's okay. Get your blood flowing and that sort of thing. Acts chapter 20, first verses 28 through 31, then 1 Timothy 3, uh, verses 1 through 7, Titus 1, verses 5 through 9, and 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 5. In Acts chapter 20, Paul, on one of his uh, later missionary journeys, stops in a town called Miletus, and he calls to himself there all of the elders of the church in Ephesus, all of the pastor elders of the church in that great city, Ephesus, to come and to hear from him so that he can charge them with what they are to do. And for several verses, beginning in uh, verse 18 of chapter 20, he reminds the elders of his ministry, of, of his life in leadership in the church. And in verse 28, he then turns his attention specifically to the elders. He says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and... Oh, excuse me, I went on too far. I just got really got into that, went into verse 32. All right. Uh, we could keep going. There's nothing wrong with it, but we'll we'll stop there at verse 31. Now, if you would quickly in your... Uh, if you can quickly in your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, or just turn your attention to the screen behind me. Paul writing to Timothy, his sort of ministry delegate to that city of Ephesus. He says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Now I'll turn our attention to a parallel passage in another of Paul's letters to another young ministry delegate named Titus. Titus chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, Paul says to this young man, This is why I left you in Crete. Crete was an island there in the Mediterranean, with several cities and towns uh, and churches that had begun to form in those towns. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Last passage we'll consider this morning, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Now the Apostle Peter, writing to several churches in Asia Minor, says this, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. 
And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you. The reason we look at these four passages in in Scripture is that these are the four kind of quintessential passages, if you will, in the New Testament that describe who pastors, who elders in the church are and what they do. And much of what we'll be exploring from Scripture this morning comes from these four passages and and just the clarity with which they speak to this office. So first of all, I want to ask the question, what's in a name? Why does it matter if we use the word pastor or elder or overseer? Well, in fact, all three of these terms, pastor, elder, overseer, are synonymous throughout the New Testament. And I'll just point you to two of the passages we just read to show this example. Acts chapter 20, verse 17, Paul calls the elders of Ephesus to himself at that city of Miletus. But in verse 28, he says to the elders, pay careful attention to uh, to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care, literally to shepherd to pastor the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Notice here in this passage, elders are called overseers by Paul who have the task of shepherding. Now, you might find it interesting to know that if you did a a Bible word search in your English uh, translations of the Bible, you would not find anywhere in Scripture the word pastor. You wouldn't find the word pastor. Do you know why? Because pastor is not a Greek word. The Greek word from which we get the word pastor is the word poimen, which is translated shepherd. And the word shepherd is used, uh, uh, poimen, is used multiple times throughout the New Testament, but it's only used one time to refer to the office, uh, to, to the position of leadership in the church that we would call pastor, and that's in Ephesians chapter 4. Everywhere else, the, uh, just about, the, the, that position of, of pastor in the church is referred to, like Paul says uh, here in Acts chapter 20, as elder which comes from the Greek word presbyteros, or overseer, coming from the Greek word episkopos. So elders, overseers, have the job of pastoring. So we can use the word pastor to relate to that position of leadership, but just so we know, most of the time the Bible refers to them as elders. Now in 1 Peter 5, making again the point that pastor, elder, overseer are synonymous terms, Peter says in uh, verse 1, I exhort the elders among you, the presbyteroi, as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Here's the charge he gives to the elders. He says, shepherd the flock, pastor the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Again, elders are to shepherd, to pastor the flock, giving oversight to their whole life together and their whole growth and maturity in Christ. So what? Why does any of this matter? Why am I making a big point about it? Well, number one, I was an English major and I learned in my English classes that words matter and the words that we use matter. And if we're going to say that the word of God is, is our, our bedrock foundation for truth and for organization as a church, it's just helpful, I think, for us to use the words that God's word uses. Okay. Uh, so we shouldn't be afraid of using the word elder. We shouldn't be afraid of using the word pastor. And I'll refer to that position as pastor elder today uh, because it just kind of helps to encapsulate, I think, the whole picture of what the New Testament is displaying. So like I said, it's interesting that the word that, that, that what we call pastor, which does mean shepherd, is most often called elder in the New Testament in a couple of places called overseer. 
But don't let that bother you this morning. Instead, if you're inclined to think that there's, well, if you're inclined to think that there's a difference between a pastor and an elder, or a pastor and an overseer in a church, you just need to work hard in your minds to remember that these three are, are all the same, synonymous ways of speaking about the same position. In this way, elders are not dictators in the church. They're, they're shepherds. They're there to care for the flock. Overseers in the church are not taskmasters, but protective and guiding pastors for those that God has called them to lead. Pastors, or who we could call shepherds, are, as Scripture defines, elders who are tasked by God to oversee his flock. All right, That's about as concise as I can say that. Pastor, elder, overseer, all the same thing. So who are these men, and what should we look for in them? It's the second thing that Scripture reveals to us this morning, answers these questions. Who are they, and what should we look for in them? Now, I could summarize this for you in one short sentence. Pastor elders are men of blameless character who are able to teach. Men of blameless character able to teach. So let's deal with each of those three things in order. First of all, men. It's important for us to recognize that God and his word has reserved the role of pastor elder for men in the church. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, Paul says to young Timothy, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Now here in this context, teaching and exercising authority are that which take place in the context of the assembled body of the church. Granted, many have over the last several centuries taken and abused 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 12 to mean that men have this position of, of superiority and, uh, and dominance over women. And that's not necessarily the case there. The context of 1 Timothy 2 is the assembled body of the church. When the church comes together to pray, to worship, to study the word together, these uh, tasks of teaching and exercising authority, which belong together, are tasks that belong to the elders of the church who are, uh, who, who are men. This is not a, a requirement for the workplace. It's not a requirement for the public sector. Women, you can be CEOs, of course. You can, you can be supervisors. You can be managers in your, in your place of work. This is speaking about when the church comes together to do the business of growing in Christ. This reserving of the role of shepherds of the flock uh, for, for men follows and exists to support the more important role, I believe, of husbands and fathers to be shepherds of the home. We encourage and model in the church what we want to see in the home. Husbands, fathers, leading, loving as Christ does the church. Now, this is not ultimately a question of what women, and I hope we, don't, we wouldn't make it into, a question of what women cannot do in the church, which is literally one thing. One thing in all of Scripture that God says, I've reserved this for men, pastoring, serving as a pastor elder. This question is not so much about what women cannot do in the church as it is about what God has, has called and designed men to do in the church. This is about responsibility that we as men have to lead and love in the church and in our homes, the way that Christ does also the church, to to, to rise up to the occasion of being made to lead and answering that call. Elders are first men, but they're men of blameless character. We see this in 1 Timothy 3 and also in Titus chapter 1. As Paul is describing the role of overseer, which we also know is a pastor or an elder, to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, He says, if anyone uh, aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. Being above reproach means to be blameless. Being blameless does not mean to be without sin. Rather, it means being unable to be 
rightfully accused of unrepentant sinfulness, if I could put it that way. It means to be full of godly character. It doesn't mean to be, to be perfect or to be sinless. It just means to be uh, of, uh, of such character that's constantly seeking to, to follow Christ more faithfully. Now, the remainder of the character qualifications throughout the course of 1 Timothy 3 spell out what above reproach means and looks like, and they, they kind of speak for themselves. Just listen. He must be above reproach, the husband of one wife or a one-woman man. If he's not, if he's not married, he, he needs to remain uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, sexually chaste. If he is married, he needs to be faithful to his wife. Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, good manager of his household, well-known by outsiders or well-thought of by outsiders. That's what it means to be above reproach. All of those things kind of combine together. It's important for us to know here that as Paul describes what an overseer is, he's not describing a special class of Christian. He's not describing a, 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 a higher calling to holiness for pastor elders, for overseers, than he is other Christians. We look at these characteristics, and we could look all over the New Testament and find multiple places where God in his word calls all believers to these things. God calls all believers to live in a way that's above reproach, to be self-controlled, to be hospitable, not to be given to you know, a, a, a addictive substances, not to be violent, but to be gentle, not to be quarrelsome, on and on and on. These things are, are, are things that God calls every Christian to do. But in spelling them out specifically for overseers in this place, what Paul is saying is that elders, overseers, serve as examples of Christian maturity and sanctification whose lives are worthy of imitation by those that they lead in the church. So it's not the pastors are called to a whole other level of holiness or a completely different level of sanctification like pastors have to live this kind of life, but the rest of us, we can get by on this. No, they are to exemplify the, 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 the global call to, of Christian maturity for all believers. And along those lines, maturity is a must. Spiritual maturity is a must. Verse uh, 6 of 1 Timothy 3 says, He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. It's incredibly important that pastor elders have an understanding of God's word, have have demonstrated spiritual maturity, not be brand new believers, not saying that brand new believers can't one day uh, become pastors or elders, but that moment after the conversion, they, they need time to grow. They need time to mature. And so pastors must be able to demonstrate spiritual maturity for the church to follow. So they are men of blameless character who are able to teach. You may have noticed in the list of things that I said uh, describe what it means to be above reproach, I I left one out conveniently, if you were following along from your scriptures. Verse 2 of 1 Timothy 3 adds the the one qualification of able to teach. He must be able to teach. This is, in the whole list of qualifications that Paul gives for overseers, the only skill-based qualification Everything else has to do with the man's character, has to do with who he is as an individual, has to do with his spiritual maturity, the the, the control that he has over his life, the sanctification that is on display for all to see. Being able to teach, though, is a skill-based qualification, and it is a spiritual gift. Teaching is with reference to Scripture uh, and sound doctrine in this place. They must be able to teach God's Word. They must be able to teach theology. They must be able to teach what God's Word says about certain things. This is the primary teaching content of the pastor elder, the the, the word of God. 
And by their teaching, they shepherd and protect the body against false gospels and malicious false teachers. This is precisely what Paul calls the elders from Ephesus to do in Acts chapter 20, to guard against fierce wolves. It's what he uh, warns Titus uh, of happening in the church, of people infiltrating and seeking to draw away believers by false teaching. Pastors must be able to teach God's word so as to protect against false gospels. And in this same sense, teaching is a spiritual gift. We know this from Ephesians 4.11 and 1 Corinthians 12.28, that teachers are gifts of God to the church for the purpose of, of growing and, and maturing in Christ altogether. So as shepherds and overseers of the body, elders must be able to rightly divide the word of God. They must be able to open it, understand it, explain it to others, help others to read it and understand it themselves and so grow in maturity. Pastors are men of blameless character who are able to teach. Why does this matter? What's the point of this? How would you encourage us this morning from this, Stephen? Well, first of all, I'll speak to the men of the church. Men, it is good to aspire to this task. Paul says in 1 Timothy 3, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Men, it is good to aspire to lead the body of Christ, to to shepherd the hearts and souls of those who are redeemed. It is good to want to do this. Men, if this is a a, a desire in your heart, if if God is, is giving you a passion to care for His church, this is a good thing. Be encouraged. And knowing that it is good to aspire to this, pursue a life of Christ likeness in the way that Paul describes for us here in 1 Timothy 3. Hone your teaching abilities. Learn to use all that God has given you to care for, to shepherd the flock. Church, the rest of us, members, Be on the lookout for men like this among you. Encourage men to aspire to this. Encourage young men and old men to aspire to this because they, in so doing, they desire a noble task, a good work to do. And at the same time, church, we need to be ready to implement discipleship pathways that train men for this. Paul does not say... If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So if he communicates his aspiration in this way, send him off to seminary. And once he's fixed up there, then send him off to another church to lead. Not at all. I believe the implication here is that Paul is saying if someone among the church aspires to this, if a man in the church aspires to this, and his life fits this qualification, and he's able to teach, recognize the man. Teach him to teach. Teach him to lead the church of God. Grow him up so that you can be blessed. By him, as a church, men, it's good to aspire to this task. It's good to have high aspirations for yourselves. It is good to want to care for other believers in their spiritual growth. Church, look out for men like this from among yourselves. Encourage men to aspire to this, young and old. And be ready to implement pathways to, to train men for this task. Pastors are men of blameless character who are able to teach. Now, what do they do? What's their job description from Scripture? They do four things. I mentioned this last week in brief overview. Now we'll look at it a little more specifically. They lead, they shepherd, they pray, and they teach. That's what pastor elders do. They lead, shepherd, pray, and teach. First, leading. Leading is the heart of why pastors are called overseers. They provide spiritual leadership. They give oversight 
not just to the practical matters of the church, not just to administrative duties. They provide oversight to souls. They care for people who are growing in Christ, who are maturing in Jesus. Their, their oversight has, has implications of overseeing the, the maturity and discipleship of the church, overseeing the, the character development and growth as a body of the church. But also that requirement of overseers to, to lead in spiritual maturity uh, requires them to be, as Paul has said, sober-minded, not to be lovers of money, to be good managers of their home. And all of these qualifications speak to another aspect of leadership, not just spiritual leadership, but also even administrative and directive leadership that these pastor elders are called to. You speak to, to the fact that there are day-to-day administrative tasks that need to be cared for in the organizational body that is the church and pastor elders need to be need to have the the kind of leadership capabilities to to make sure that those things get done pastor elders first lead the church they lead spiritually and they lead even from an administrative aspect but they also shepherd and this might be the greatest aspect of their most important aspect of their of their job description shepherding or pastoring has at least three things in mind i believe Feeding, caring, and protecting. Shepherds feed their sheep. Pastor elders feed their congregation, not by taking them to lush pastures, but by taking them to the lush pasture that that is God's word. Teaching sound doctrine. Helping members to, to gain important skills for reading and studying the Bible on their own. Pastors feed the flock with the Word of God on a regular basis. But they also care. They also care for sheep. Pastor elders care for their congregations by being hospitable, opening their homes, opening their lives to share in life with one another. They care by visiting the sick. By knowing and being known by those that they lead. Hear me, any pastor who thinks that he can just preach on Sunday morning and go back to his office uh, during the week and never interact with the rest of the church is a pastor who has fundamentally misunderstood what it means to care for the flock. Pastors shepherd by feeding, by caring, and also by protecting the people that they're called to lead, the church, the, 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 member, the Christians that they're called to lead. Paul's incredibly clear about this in Acts chapter 20 and Titus chapter 1, that there are those who will seek like wolves in sheep's clothing to infiltrate the flock of God and to steal away and destroy Christians by false teaching. If it weren't a real danger, Paul wouldn't have warned about it so clearly, so starkly. Paul himself wouldn't have guarded the gospel and the believers in the churches that he had helped to plant so, so fiercely if he did not know that this was a real danger, that people would, would seek to come in and pervert the gospel and steal Christians away. As part of their protecting job description, pastors must be able to discern false teaching and to have the kind of courage that is motivated by a fierce love for the truth of Christ and a fierce love for the church of Christ that confronts with clarity and severity those wolves who seek to destroy. The pastors are not to be violent nor to be quarrelsome. They're to be gentle and self-controlled, as Paul says. But I would forgive a pastor for having a hot streak when it comes to protecting his people from false doctrine. 
when it comes to protecting his, his people and the gospel from those who would seek to pervert it. There is, a, uh, there is a time for righteous indignation in pastors and in Christians when, when we hear the word of God being perverted, being distorted. When we see Christians who are, who are being taken uh, uh, away from, from the truth to lies, when we see people, wolves in sheep's clothing, trying to infiltrate the church and sow division and discord in order to subvert the work of the gospel. Pastors should get a little bit hot under the collar when they see that happening. They should get a little papa bear about their people. Pastors shepherd by feeding the flock, carrying the flock, protecting for the flock, knowing and being known by them. Pastors need to Shepherds need to smell like sheep. That's the greatest compliment I've ever been given as a pastor by others, is that Stephen smells like sheep. (laughs) Sheep don't smell good. Real sheep. But to be known, to to take on the, the, the flavor of the aroma uh, if, a scent, if an aroma has a flavor, that's a strong aroma. To take on the aroma of the people that God has called me to, to, to lead. To so know and be known by you, church. To, to have my life impacted by your lives. To, to have my teaching and, and my leadership shaped by my relationships with you. To smell like sheep is a good thing. Pastors lead. They shepherd. They also pray. You would think they wouldn't have to say that out loud. We could just assume it. But we need to. We need to say it out loud that pastors pray. James chapter 5 verse 14. James writing to the church that he's writing to informs them that when members of the church are sick, they should call for their elders and be prayed for by them, anointed with oil. Pastors must pray for the sick. Yes, but also, pastors need to be those who are exceptionally prayerful in all that they do. We saw last week in 1, Timothy, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, excuse me, where Paul called the whole church to pray continually, to pray without ceasing. And if pastors are to exemplify a life of Christian maturity for the church, they need to be exceptionally prayerful people, praying for and with their people, but also praying about all that they do in the way that they lead. They're called to pray. Fourth, pastor elders, their job description is to teach. They lead, they shepherd, they pray, and they teach. And we've hit on this a few different times, but it's important to hit on it once more. This has, as we said, much to do with the feeding aspect of shepherding, of opening God's word and teaching the church by it. But it goes beyond just Sunday morning preaching. Elders are to be educators of scripture and doctrine. They lead by teaching, and they teach even as they lead. My desire, my, 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 uh, my intent, and, and the way that I feel that God is moving in my life and in our church altogether is, is that he is taking us a direction to organize ourselves more faithfully and more obediently in a way that more reflects the, church, the New Testament church. I want to lead us in that direction, but I don't want to lead us there blindly. I want to lead by teaching. So that's why I've taken four weeks the start of this year, to preach about these things from God's Word, to teach about these things from God's Word. Because if we're all going there, we need to all go there together. Elders lead by teaching. They teach even as they lead. And also, elders, pastors, should teach others to teach as well. They need to be teaching teachers. Teachers of teachers. I'll figure that out. 
In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Paul says this again to Timothy, who's there in Ephesus appointing elders in the church. He says, You, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Pastors teach other people to teach. Pastors are involved in in the discipleship ministry of the church. Yes, but pastors are also involved in teaching future pastors, teaching future elders. Pastor elders ought to always be training up their replacement. Pastor elders fulfill their job by, by given to them by God by leading, by shepherding, by praying, and by teaching. So, pastors, here this morning I speak specifically to Pastor Danny and myself, but, but men who may aspire to this task as well, fulfill your God-given assignment to lead, shepherd, pray, and teach with Christ-like love and care for the church. Care for the body. Love the body. Smell like sheep. And church members, make sure that you have, knowing what the biblical job description is for pastors, make sure that you have biblical expectations for what your pastors are to do. They're not CEOs. They're not COOs. They're not CFOs or CIOs. They're pastors. They're not professionals that you pay to do the work of ministry. They are shepherds who care for your soul. Have biblical expectations for what your pastors are to do. And... Church, help your pastors to remember their God-given job descriptions. And as much as it is possible for churches to confuse what pastors are to do, it is just as easy for pastors to be confused themselves about what they're to do, to lose sight of the most important things to do. Several years ago, we were in an interesting time and place in uh, our life as a society and as a nation. There was a lot going on politically and socially. And for a while, I don't know, about a month or two months I had taken to social media to post some of my thoughts about what I thought was going on socially and and politically, giving commentary on this or that sort of thing that frustrated me or bothered me or whatever. And one Sunday morning, several years ago, one of you came to me in the foyer of this church and said, Pastor, I don't disagree with the things that you're posting necessarily. I don't think it's bad or wrong. He said, but what the church needs more and most from you as a pastor is the gospel, is God's word. And I'm not saying you can't think about those things, and I'm not saying you shouldn't express what you think about those things, but I'm just encouraging you to make the gospel the thing you speak about and point us to most. That's what we need you to do, to point us to Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I was convicted about my, my distraction from my God-given job description and so thankful for a loving, gracious, caring church member who said, Pastor, remember your duties. knowing all of that, all that pastors are called to do and all that they ought to be. Friend, let me remind you not to confuse pastors, your pastors, your elders, with Jesus, with your Savior. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 to 25, listen. For to you this has been, for to this, excuse me, you have been called because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. 
When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself, Christ himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Friends, brothers and sisters, pastors too, there is one chief shepherd and one divine overseer of your soul. It is not a man or a group of men who lead your church. That shepherd, that overseer is Christ. There is one sinless substitute who bore your sins on the tree, Jesus. There is only one whose wounds have healed your spiritual state, and his name is neither Stephen nor Danny. His name is Jesus. There is only one good shepherd who stepped into humanity, who sought out the lost, who taught them the gospel of his kingdom, who gave his life to protect them from perishing, Jesus. Friend, the good shepherd, Jesus, still calls his sheep. He is still calling today. Friend, if you hear the call of Christ today, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you hear the call of Christ today, come into the kingdom through faith in me then be forgiven, be healed, be saved from sin and death, and do this by giving your heart and your life not to a church membership, but to the only divine overseer of your soul, Jesus, the Son of God. Do it today. The good shepherd calls in order to bring into his flock those that he has called to redemption. Answer that call today. Trust in Christ. Follow him faithfully. It is important for pastors to remember that they too are sheep. They too are sheep in the care of the chief shepherd. They too are part of the flock over which Jesus, the divine overseer, gives oversight and leadership. We too as pastors need to turn daily, continually to him. So, pastors, our elders, our overseers, who are men of blameless character, able to teach, who shepherd the flock, whose job description is to lead, to shepherd, to pray, and to teach. Now, I recognize that you may have several questions and, and maybe even some, some objections about some of the things that we've talked about. First of all, you may be asking, Stephen, you've used the word pastors and elders in the plural most of the time that you've been speaking about it this morning and the church in the singular. I'm tempted to ask, how many pastors then should a church have? Well, I'd like to answer your question with another question. How many has God given to your church? Paul gives no specified number to Timothy or to Titus for appointing. He doesn't say appoint one per church, appoint three per church. Just elders in every town. Paul and Barnabas themselves in Acts chapter 14 appoint elders, plural, in every church, singular, that they planted in Lystra and Derbe, Iconium and Antioch. The biblical pattern seems to be a plurality. And that plurality is not bound by however many a church can support financially. In fact, there's good reason to believe that most of the elders in the church who were not involved in the weekly teaching and preaching probably had other jobs that sustained their livelihood. I believe the biblical pattern for pastors in a church is to have, for elders, is to have a plurality. And as many, and that plurality encompasses as many as God has given to the church and the church is recognized. 
Now, this is hard or maybe, maybe challenging for some of us who maybe grew up in Baptist churches that, that traditionally only had a single senior pastor. But I'd like you to consider not only the biblical pattern of a plurality, but also the helpfulness of a plurality of elders. In a group, in a plurality, there is always greater wisdom. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, Where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors there is safety. There's much wisdom in a group of men who have been called by God and recognized by the church to pastor them. Consider the benefit of having more shepherds for the church. And along with more shepherds comes better care. Currently, our church membership sits somewhere around 260. If I were to give one full day of pastoral care to each, each member of our church, that would take the better part of the year. When would teaching and preaching get done? When would it get scheduled? And yet, how would all the people in the church still, still be cared for the way that they need to? More shepherds equals better care. And more shepherds, more elders, more men called by God and recognized by the church to give leadership and oversight and shepherding and praying to the church leads to greater disciple-making and church-planting capacity by a church. If in God's grace our church could continue to grow numerically such that if we're ever able to meet in one service again, we're, we're bursting at the seams in this room. And, what, and we happen to find that there are a, a number of our, our members or attenders who live from a particular part of town that's maybe not especially close to this church, maybe out in Ventana Ranch or in the southwest corner of the city. And we have a number of elders, and maybe among them, a couple of them happen to live in this or that area. And so many members that were bursting at the seams. Do you see how easy it is to then just take some of our best members and some of those that we've already recognized as pastor elders and say, let's start a church in this place or in that place. A plurality of elders, more shepherds with better care, greater wisdom, more capacity to teach and disciple God's people leads to greater disciple making and church planting capacity. So how many should a church have? As many, I think, as God has given to them. Second, how much and what kind of decision-making authority should pastors have? Do they make all the decisions? Do they, do they check every box and sign on every line? Do, do, they, do they have the ability to make decisions maybe against the will of the collective body? Well, I would say not necessarily. Go back to the first sermon that we preached that the whole assembly, the church, the membership of the church has authority from God not to be taken away from by pastors, but authority from God to confirm the content of the gospel, to make doctrinal decisions and affirmations, and to affirm who is a gospel person, who is following Christ as a believer. So when it comes to how much and what kind of decision-making authority to give to pastors, I would want to ask a church, how many issues, aside from matters of doctrine and discipline and membership, does a church find it helpful to vote on? I would say most matters outside of those would be wisely delegated probably to a body of pastor elders and to other teams as appropriate in the church. Now, some churches that are much smaller, maybe 20 or 30 in number, uh, might reserve much of that authority for themselves. It's easy to get everybody's opinion real quickly on whether we should spend money on this or that ministry or ministry opportunity. In much larger churches, that's a, that's a bit more difficult. And there's a point at which you can spend more time in business meetings and voting on the colors of chairs and carpet and things like that than you would in actually doing evangelism. So sometimes it's helpful to just delegate authority to the pastor elders to make those kinds of decisions, trusting that through prayer and wisdom from God and among each other that they'll, they'll do what is right and honoring to God. 
Remember, at the end of the day, the church, the assembly, holds ultimate authority over all matters pertaining to doctrine, church discipline, and membership. And they should exercise that authority. And prayerfully, as God leads them along with their pastors to discuss what other authority should be delegated to their pastors, to their leaders. Last question. Most of the pastors I know have been to seminary. So, should pastors have formal education? That seems to be a prerequisite, doesn't it? Well, in the four passages that we looked at this morning, did you see anywhere a requirement in any of God's Word for pastors to have formal seminary education? No, nowhere. Part of that reason is because seminaries didn't exist in that day, but, but still, even if, even if education was required, we would see some sort of indication there that they must be able to teach, but that doesn't mean that they have to have a Ph.D., Because Scripture doesn't require formal education for pastors, I don't believe that churches should require it either. Now listen, there's great value in formal education. I've got two seminary degrees, and I'm working on a third. I'm a glutton for punishment. But the local church should have in place a means by which any person can go from new believer to ministry leader. And any man can go from new convert to pastor elder if God should call. The church should be the the locus. It should be the place of discipleship. And discipleship is more than knowing short answers to questions about the Bible. Discipleship is about growing in maturity in Jesus, being able to lead as God calls. The church should be the place that is training pastors, training elders to lead them, to care for them. So, elders, pastors, overseers are men of blameless character who are able to teach that care for the church by teaching, shepherding, praying, and leading. Pastors, shepherd the flock of God with Christ-like care and leadership. Church, know what to look for in pastors. Be on the lookout for those that God is calling. Trust your pastors to lead. Follow them toward greater Christ-likeness. Remind them regularly of their God-given job description to care for the flock of God among them. This will do by God's grace and with his help. And this will do in prayer together and continued conversation about how we as a church must wisely move forward as we organize and seek to lead and do greater ministry together. Let's pray.